Uh, you good? All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Steve? Three, two, one. Welcome to the Mission Story Slam podcast, brought to you by PWP Video. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, executive producer of PWP Video and the Mission Story Slam. Storytelling is enjoying a resurgence of popularity lately, and we started Mission Story Slam to share the stories of the organizations we serve at PWP Video. Nonprofits, B Corps, triple bottom line companies, and sustainable businesses. People on a mission to make the world a better place. We gather at Yards Brewing in Philadelphia, pick 10 storytellers out of a hat, and they compete for a $250 donation to their favorite nonprofit. Their stories are recorded for sharing on social media and with friends and supporters. This podcast is about the story behind those stories. What motivates someone to tell a story in front of an audience? How did they choose the story they were going to tell? And what was the experience like? And we get to learn about the storytellers themselves. Mission Story Slam 2 is in the history books, and planning for Mission Story Slam 3 has already begun. We're planning on an environmental theme for our next slam in April, right around Earth Day. If you or your organization would like to get involved, please contact us at PWP Video for more information. The theme for Mission Story Slam 2 was Saving Democracy. It was a partnership with Philadelphia's Committee of 70 and their Draw the Lines Pennsylvania initiative. DrawTheLinesPA.org is a statewide civic education and engagement campaign. The aim is to inspire ordinary people to reclaim the political redistricting process and end gerrymandering. The winning story that night was also about gerrymandering, and it was told by my guest today, Lawrence Husick. Lawrence is a founding partner of Lipton Weinberger and Husick, an intellectual property and technological law firm. He is also the co-founder and chief innovation officer of Cloud Pharmaceuticals and a faculty member at the Whiting Graduate School of Engineering of the Johns Hopkins University. Lawrence is co-chairman of the Foreign Policy Research Institute's Center for the Study of Terrorism, where he concentrates on the study of terrorist tactics and counterterrorism strategies. He has been a consultant to both government and private organizations as a system analyst and design engineer and is the holder of five United States patents. The complete list of his professional and personal achievements goes on for another five to 20 minutes. So we'll just stick to these highlights and say welcome to the podcast, Lawrence Usick. Thank you for having me. Really glad that you're here. And it's always fun to talk to you. I've known you for a while through your work at Foreign Policy Research Institute. And uh, I know how very well prepared you are for any, any type of public speaking. So it was clear to me that you had a very uh, firm plan in place when you were telling your story, and I would like to know just a little bit about how you prepared for Mission Story Slam. I think the best way for me to explain that preparation is for me to explain how I would prepare to give any talk or make any presentation. I was a debater in high school and college. I have been a debate coach and speech coach. And the most important thing that I have tried to convey to my students is that you should always have 10 times as much information at your fingertips as you have time available to convey it. Because that way, you're never nervous about running out of things to say, and you always have the phrases that are necessary to convey the most important points. If you couple that with the tried and true formula for giving any kind of presentation, which is that you should have an introduction, three points, and a conclusion, and that at all times you should tell people what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you just said, you end up with a cohesive presentation no matter what the length, no matter what the topic, 
And it, of course, helps when you've had a couple of beers. I, I, uh, I do agree. Did you, did you manage? You told your story pretty early. Did you have time to have a beer or two before you went? I did. Good. It's, it, I like being at Yards because I love the beer. It's very good. I had been on the tour of the facility before I told my story, and that also allowed me to get a feel for the place and the acoustics and so forth. It also helps when your audience has had a couple of beers, too. <laughs> no, that, that, that never hurts. And I guess that's not something you benefit from if you're ever in a courtroom. So One would hope not. Yeah. Well, you know, it is 12 members of the public. You know, can't be sure. With that idea of having 10 times more to say than time to say it, there aren't very many rules at Mission Story Slam, but one of them is you're supposed to be done within five minutes. And I have to say, most people do go over a little. You barely hit six minutes, which is great. But I don't feel like like you were racing or rushing. I feel like that you did have the time that you wanted to get things done. How did you mentally edit the story that you wanted to tell? I constructed the story because I knew that the story had to be personal, had to be true, as true as you can know something, and that I was dealing with an audience that was likely to be interested in the topic, which is always a big plus, that I needed it to start as something that was intensely personal, and that I needed to set the stage. So the way in which uh, speakers are trained to do this and have been for the last two and a half thousand years is to look at it in terms of rhetoric. The questions are, who is this speaker? Why should I believe this person? How convincing is this person? How good are the arguments? And how much of a connection do I have with this person on an emotional level? Aristotle put all that out in rhetoric, and it hasn't changed since. People haven't changed since. And so you go for a balance of those things. And if you look at the story that I told, it attempted to set up my authority and why people should listen to me. It attempted to show some of the human connection of why this should be an interesting topic and what had attracted me. And then in the middle, it tries to make, uh, in just a few points, a cogent argument for why gerrymandering is a problem and what we can do to save democracy by eliminating it. Good evening. I'm Lawrence Husick. And I'm a nerd. I can prove it. I can program in 11 computer languages. I'm also a geek. I'm a chemist by training. But more than that, I'm a wonk. And I'm a lawyer. And I woke up after the last presidential election to my wife sobbing in the bed next to me because she'd stayed up all night and I'd gone to sleep. And she knew what I learned from those sobs. I really enjoyed the um, sort of both superfluous and yet not superfluous facts about being both a nerd and a geek. And I'm kind of curious why you differentiate between being a nerd and a geek. And are, like, So, I mean, are those icebreaker comments or get us thinking about who you are? They have a deeper purpose in terms of like sneaking in bona fides under a, under a joke. 
it's really that. It's a question of establishing my authority with the audience. Why should they listen to me? And in order to do that, what I needed to do was win over the audience by putting them at ease, which means being a little self-deprecating, but at the same time saying, I have some authority here and I am going to impose on your time and your attention because I have something important to say to you. And I really do like the fact that after that joking way to get us to believe in your expertise, you do get right to the heart of the matter of that emotional morning after the 2016 election. I'd like to talk a little bit about the difference between a debate or legal argument and, and a story. Is there a bit of a difference to you between a setting out an argument and setting out a narrative arc? There really are very few differences. Whether you're telling a story at a story slam or summing up an argument in court, all of the basics of communication still pertain. You have to make your audience respect you as the person delivering the information. You have to deliver an argument that is sound. And you have to make the audience care about the result. Lawyers don't get mad, they get even. So I decided to get even. Now, how would I do that? I took a self-assessment. What is it that I do well? Well, first, I speak to people and I convince them. I do that with judges. I do that with executives. I do that with juries. I figured, well, how different could voters be? <laughs> Foolish me. And then I thought, what distinguishes me? What makes me think that I could do anything? And I came up with an answer. And that answer is that I have the world's longest attention span. <laughs> and that's something that's missing from American politics. So I looked for a problem that required a ridiculously long attention span. And it was, well, sitting right in front of me. It was the stuff you should have learned had you been paying attention in high school. It's how we draw the lines on our maps that figure into how our elected officials get elected. Now, I knew this was a problem, and I barely remembered the name for the problem. Gerrymandering. Yeah, gerrymandering. Not Jerry, because the guy, if you go down to the Constitution Center down about seven blocks, is Elbridge Gerry. That's who it was named after. He signed the freaking Constitution. He should have known better. But after he did that, he went back to Massachusetts, became a partisan politician, and approved this ridiculous salamander-looking map, which the Boston newspapers termed a gerrymander. And we've made it easier to pronounce so that we could forget it. So you really have the world's longest attention span? I think I do, yes. Your whole story really contains a lot of facts, but I found that, that they stuck with me. So is there, is there a strategy, does it come from debate skills or legal training that you use that helps 
us as an audience to learn those facts and specifically the ones that you want us to retain? I'm using those facts and the way that I tell them to take the pressure off of you as a listener. You're interested in these things. You haven't necessarily heard them this way in the past. I've already told you that this is something to which you were exposed and you probably just slept through it or you weren't paying any attention to it when you were in junior high or in high school. And so now it's just interesting trivia. And especially in the environment of the story slam, where people are nibbling on some food and drinking a beer and sitting not in a classroom environment, the trivia is what sticks. But it is also what illuminates the truths that I want you to take away from my story. So... How long of an attention span will we collectively need to actually prevent a continuation of gerrymandering as this significant problem? Not to get too wonky on you, but in Pennsylvania, the process requires that we amend the state's constitution. And that process takes a minimum of about five years because we have to have a bill that gets introduced and passed by the legislature in two consecutive sessions, and each session is two years long, and then only after it has passed in two consecutive sessions does it go on the ballot for the citizens of the Commonwealth to have a voice. And that happens after the second time that it passes. So in practical terms, you're talking about a five-year attention span. In terms of the two-year terms, where are we right now in that process? Well, unfortunately, we're back to square one because our organization, Fair Districts PA, along with Common Cause and the League of Women Voters, worked very hard to have bills introduced in the last session of the legislature. And almost literally on the last day of the session, those bills were brought up and then hijacked to be completely the opposite of what the sponsoring legislators had wanted. And it was unfortunate, but that's the way political power works here in Pennsylvania. What happened was we had more than half of the House and more than a third of the Senate as co-sponsors of our legislation. And despite the fact that there is a rule in, in Harrisburg that Nothing may be brought before committee unless there's 24 hours notice given. The chairman of the committee to which the bill had been assigned in the House said at 7 p.m. one night that at 9 a.m. the next morning they would have a hearing. We managed to get people there to testify, but the fix was in. The bill had all of its language removed and replaced with language that would have strengthened the political party's death grip on drawing the maps. And then on a straight party line vote, the Republican majority in the committee voted it out. The companion bill, the same wording, but in the state Senate, was not treated exactly that way, but when it reached the floor of the Senate, over 690 amendments were proposed in order to sink it. And so we are now back at the 
next stage where this will not be brought up until the beginning of the next legislative session. And so we are back another two years. But at the same time, we're working on other alternatives that will allow us to fix the process for the congressional maps, even as we have to go slowly and fix the process for the Pennsylvania Senate and the Pennsylvania House through the amendment process. So we can separate those two processes and with any luck, do the one that more people are aware of, that is the congressional districts, sooner. Okay, so that congressional district remapping won't require amending the Pennsylvania Constitution. That's correct. But does it require new legislation or just political will? It requires both because we should have a process in place that establishes a nonpartisan citizens commission with the power to draw the map for the state. And at the moment, the way that the map is drawn is through the normal legislative process. And that simply means that the majority in the House and Senate propose a map, pass it, and then it goes to the governor, who can either sign it or veto it. And all of that is subject, of course, to review by the Pennsylvania courts. What is the way that you can motivate them to give up what is essentially a massive power. This is a power that is wielded almost exclusively by the very top party leadership in Harrisburg and not by the rank and file members of the legislature. And in fact, the members of the legislature, the last time they drew the maps in 2011, never even saw the map that they were expected to vote in favor of. That map was shown to them less than 24 hours before the vote. This is a theme, this less than 24 hours thing. Yes, and what they saw was a text description by latitude and longitude of the very twisted, tortuous lines of all of the 18 congressional districts within the Commonwealth. They never even saw it drawn out on a map. If they had seen it, of course, they would have seen the ridiculous-looking districts, including the famous Pennsylvania 7th, which was known as Goofy Kicking Donald, uh, because it looks like that if you squint a little bit at the map. There were equally ridiculous districts all over the state, and anytime you see the lines looking like that, you can be pretty sure that the politicians are playing games. So it's just the party leadership in the House and Senate that wields this power, and the rank and file are afraid of it. And they're afraid of it because of some really interesting tactics that the power elite can use. Uh, if you stand up against the powerful in the party, they can literally cut you out of your own legislative district. They, they can literally draw a line around your house pushing you into another district where you'll have to compete against someone else. You'll no longer live in the district that you've represented. And by the same token, they can also draw a line around a potential challenger's house and draw that person into your district and run that person against you in the primary. So the rank and file of the party are deathly afraid of this tool being used against them. Why are the are Supreme Courts not interested in stopping the you know, state legislatures from controlling all of these lines and therefore lording all of this power over each individual not leadership, rank and file? Well, in Pennsylvania, 
our Supreme Court clearly is interested in free and fair elections. And so on the basis of the Commonwealth Constitution, which guarantees us free and fair elections, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court threw out the map that had been drawn by the Republican leadership in 2011 and modified thereafter a little bit and substituted a map that was drawn by an academic who specializes in this and then presented to the Supreme Court for their approval. It's a slightly better map. Uh, it creates some more competition in many districts, and I'm hopeful that we will see in the upcoming election the results of that map. But that doesn't change the fundamental process. So in 2021, when there's a new census, and Pennsylvania loses either one or two seats in the House of Representatives in Washington, we'll have to go through the process of drawing the maps again, and that process will be back to the legislature to do. And their process will be one driven by the party leadership unless we can change things. Now, there is a window of opportunity that faces us in Pennsylvania, and that's because the way in which this process goes forward on the state house and state senate level is that there is a commission comprised of two leaders from the democrats and two leaders from the republicans who then have to get together and those four people get to choose a fifth person to be a chair if they can do that within 45 days then those five people will draw our maps but there's no reason to expect that two Republicans and two Democrats will be able to agree on that fifth person so quickly. And the law says that if they can't, then the Pennsylvania Supreme Court chooses the chairperson. And in the 2016 elections, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court swung to a Democratic majority. And what that means is that the chairperson of that commission will be a Democrat. The Democrats will then hold a three to two majority on the commission. And there will be, in all likelihood, a Democratic governor. And the result is that the Republicans in Harrisburg are afraid that the golden rule of politics will pertain. Do unto them before they can do unto you and that the Democrats will retaliate in like kind for the 2011 Republican map, and so they have every reason to come to the table and find a nonpartisan way to do this. So they might actually pick someone within 45 days just to avoid all of the end of that chess game that you just explained to me and the wonky end of the pool. They might, but there's no reason to believe that they will, and so it's possible that the majority of the legislators will come to see that having a citizens commission do this job in the open with tools that are available to every citizen in the commonwealth such as what draw the lines pa is providing that that's a better way to run a democracy coming back from the deep dive into the details but what should those of us who are not political junkies be looking to do in the near future to support the work you're doing? Of course, the first thing to do is become informed. And that means going to fairdistrictspa.com and going to drawthelinespa.org 
and learning a little bit about the stuff you should have learned in high school had you been paying attention, being able to become conversant with this. Fair Districts is engaged across the Commonwealth in asking every level of government to get on board by passing statements of support, resolutions that say to our legislators in Harrisburg, hey, fix this problem. And we've been incredibly successful at doing that, both at the township and at the county level. So find out if your township has passed a resolution of support. You can find that information on our website. And if they haven't, well, by all means, there's a kit on the website that will allow you to go to your township or county commission and say, get on board with us, pass this resolution. And I have made presentations across the Commonwealth to townships and counties about doing exactly that. Also, use the Draw the Lines PA tool to get familiar and actually draw your own map. You might say, well, drawing a map, that's hard. What's in it for me? And the answer is that by spending just a couple of hours learning about how the maps are drawn that determine the power of your vote, you can win a prize. And the prize is $5,000. And I don't know too many people who couldn't use an extra $5,000 just for going online and doodling with some electronic crayons to draw a good map. And our purpose there is to show our legislators that this is not hard, that this is not complex, and it doesn't require a PhD in political science. We're, in fact, introducing this to middle schoolers, and we're finding that middle schoolers can draw better maps than we've gotten from Harrisburg in the past. It is so easy to be lazy in politics. Knowing that you are there with that unending attention span could almost let me off the hook. I mean, is that, did you consider that at all when you thought about this story? I did. And... I felt that the structure of the story needed, at base, a little bit of a villain. And fortunately, or unfortunately for us all as voters, the people who lead the legislature in Harrisburg are that villain in this story. And as I said, at the very last hour of the very last day, they decided to hijack the bills that had the broadest support of any proposed legislation in the last session. They violated their rules and then refused to enforce those rules against that leadership. They're the villain. The hero in this is every one of us who can get involved, become a little bit outraged at what they did, and know that this is not a problem of recent vintage, that this is a problem that goes back almost to the founding of our republic, and that, as I said, that we have a responsibility to maintain our republic, to keep and safeguard our democracy. We need people to become engaged, to come to the website, register, so that when it's time for us to tell Harrisburg that this community cares, we can bury them in emails. Let's bring it back just a second to the Story Slam itself. I, how did participating in Mission Story Slam fit into your personal or this mission of what you've been talking about? It's been wonderful. It was an opportunity to reach, first, a new audience there in the room. Secondly, the fact that I won 
and that there was a donation to Fair Districts PA was equally wonderful. And then your publicizing the Story Slam and my talk on social media has allowed the reach to expand exponentially. I have gotten super comments, not only from people here, but around the world who have taken the time to listen to the story and have told me, gee, this is a problem that we were not aware about. We now know about it. Good luck with the fight. How can we help? All of that has been a tremendous experience. You know, I, I know you have a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues. I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said that you heard from people around the nation. But to think of uh, Mission Story Slam, even having a small global reach is really exciting. So I appreciate hearing that. And it does. I'm curious, like the, you, you did talk about the atmosphere being warm and everyone having a few beers. Were there other stories that you heard that night that resonated with you? Absolutely. There were genuine stories, some of which used rather salty language that simply added to their authenticity. There were people who were truly engaged in their missions whether it was starting a neighborhood brew pub or encouraging people to dine across cultural lines in Philadelphia or educating people about this issue or other issues that are central to our democracy. It was truly inspiring to hear others who had the courage to get up, tell an engaging story, and expect that they would be supported by a community. And that, I think, above all, is the most important thing that you bring to the table, is that respectful support from people who are like-minded, who are concerned about issues, who want us to live in a fairer, more sustainable world. You know, I was at, my next question was going to be, I was going to ask if someone was on the edge about telling a story at Mission Story Slam, what Clearly, you've set the table that the room is nice, but is there a piece of advice or encouragement that you would give them to maybe, besides just have a couple beers, to get them over that edge? The first thing I would tell them is, of course, prepare well. Know that you have something important to say and figure out the right way to say it. And that doesn't mean that you have to sit down and write it all out as a speech, because the best stories are ones that are told off the cuff. It doesn't mean that the cuff doesn't have a few words written on it, though. Beyond voting, coming up soon here, um, is there any specific action that you would like the listening audience to take uh, that we haven't gotten to? There is one more, and that is do your best to always read for the truth and propagate the truth. And that means that you have a responsibility not to amplify things that are just patently wrong. And that is a great place for me to thank you, Lawrence, for being with us on the Mission Story Slam podcast. Our audience can find out more about gerrymandering at fairdistrictspa.com. We'll include links to everything mentioned on the show at the missionstoryslam.org website. I'd like to thank our partners on Mission Story Slam 2, the Committee of 70, and Draw the Lines PA. You can find out about the great work they do by following the links on missionstoryslam.org where you can also watch the Mission Story Slam videos like Lawrence's and others. So we are planning on Mission Story Slam 3 for April, currently thinking about April 23rd, which is the day after Earth Day. 
and we'd like an environmental theme this time around with that in mind. So if your organization would like to partner on the next one, please reach out to us at PWP Video. We'd love to hear from you. Of course, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's how you'll know when the next podcast drops and when we let the tickets go on sale for Mission Story Slam 3. The Mission Story Slam podcast is produced by Dave Winston and brought to you by PWP Video, video with a mission. Find out what we're all about at pwpvideo.com. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, and I look forward to sharing the next story behind the story with you soon. Mm-hmm.